Welcome to the Flint Catholic Podcast. My name is Father Tony Smilo. And I'm Michael Hasso. Happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. So as all of you probably noticed, we took a week off for Easter. Yep. Sorry for not yep. telling you beforehand, but you know, it's Easter. Yeah. So we we took... should have submitted our vacation time to the listeners. Oh, shoot. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I hope we're not fired because yeah. of that. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Hope, I hope they don't fire us. Yeah, don't fire us, please. Yeah. Um, we hope to, to give you good content going forward. So... Easter has now come and gone. In fact, even the the octave of Easter has come and gone. All the anticipation for that glorious day has now happened, and now we can just go back to our regularly scheduled lives, right? Yep. 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 No. (laughs) Well, for this episode, we're going to take a look inside the Diocese of Lansing uh, Faith Catholic Magazine. So there's going to be two articles we're going to reference in particular. Um, the first article, um, how did we say we were going to pronounce her last name? Yeah, we agreed on this, and I'm sure she won't agree with this pronunciation. Yeah, we apologize, Veronica. Uh, the author's name is Veronica Zeigel. Zeigel. S-Z-C-Z-Y. So there, there's right there four con- consonants yep. <laughs> before a, a vowel. S-Z-C-Z-Y-G-I-E-L. So... Yep. From this point forward, we're going to refer to her as Veronica. Yep. So we're going to look at her article, uh, Finding Joy on Easter Monday. And then after the break, we'll look at the statement from the Michigan Catholic bishops on the moral dimensions of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. No doubt. No doubt. So back to the question I asked at the top of the podcast. We can go back to our regularly scheduled lives now, right? Easter is over. We're done. The liturgies have certainly finished, so got got through with those. Easter's over, right? Not quite. No. So in her article, Veronica's article, she reminds us that Easter Day is actually eight days long, so went all the way through Divine Mercy Sunday, and the Easter season is 50 days. It's longer than Lent. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people miss is that from a Catholic understanding, and I'll say especially Americans too, because we overall have a have a pretty Protestant outlook on a lot of the holidays. Yep. Um, no offense to Protestants. It's just, no. you know, they don't they don't have the same liturgical sense, a lot of them, as what we do in Catholic teaching. Correct. And Easter Sunday is actually not one day, but eight days. Yep. Which is, I just think that's so awesome. I one, you get to feast like crazy for eight days. So great. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. So... It's eight days long, and I, I love that it's eight as well. Yeah, right? it's not just a week, but it's like more than a week. We get the full eight days, just over a week, and then the Easter season is fifty days long. Um, and I love that it is actually longer than Lent itself. Uh, so we prepare, um, but then we rejoice. And I think there's there's a, a theological thing in that as well. In that, you know, our Lent, our time here on Earth, uh, the time of suffering, the time of sacrifice, it's shorter compared to the glory of heaven, which we'll experience for all of eternity. Yeah. So there, I think there's even a theological reminder there that, that our time of, of penance, suffering uh, here on earth will come to an end, and, and we're not even going to remember it when we get to the glory of heaven. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So even more than the marking of days, finding joy in the Easter season takes prayerful intention. This is, Veronica's. I think this is her main point. Uh, it takes prayerful intention. And so in the scriptures, we see the apostles in the early church trying to figure everything out. And I, and I really, one of my favorite things to do during this time 
is to just put myself in the place of an apostle in the early church, experiencing everything they've just experienced. They're trying to figure it all out. Um, they don't have the benefit of 2,000 years of, of development of doctrine and, and giants, intellectual giants, um, paving the way for them like we do today. Yeah. They were the first ones. They And most of them were just fishermen. Yup. <laughs> yep. In fact, Peter goes back to fishing. He's like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go fishing. You guys want to come with? They're like, yep. Yep. And and Jesus reminds them, uh, excuse me, I told you to be fishers of men, not yeah. fishers of fish. Yeah. Which ironically is a really powerful statement. I don't know if you've ever seen the the movie The Chosen. Or it's I've, not a movie. It's a series. I haven't. I, you haven't heard about I, this? I, I mean, I've heard about it. I know. Now okay. I'm embarrassed because everyone does the same thing to me. Like, I can't believe you've never seen it, you yeah. heathen. No. Sorry, so, I just haven't. I'll just do a quick summary of one episode, and it's basically about the call of Peter in the first season. By the way, this is like free on YouTube for anyone that wants to check this out, but it is, I mean, this is seriously one of the best reenactments of the gospel that I've ever seen, including the passion. I mean, just, it is phenomenal. Um, So I highly recommend everyone check that out. But we were, so I, I can't help but think of one particular episode where it, does kind of like the backstory of the call of Peter. And by the way, this isn't scriptural, but I think it's a very, very likely and valid backstory when you think about it. And basically it talks about how the episode's all about how Peter's like in in great debt to Rome uh, because really a lot of the Jewish people were in mm-hmm. debt to Rome. And so they this were... This is why they didn't like the tax collectors. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And it that sort of plays out between Peter and Matthew in this episode. Nice. I mean, it is. It's like spot on. I think this is really good stuff. And so he's in this debt, this unbelievable debt that he can't pay. And he's literally like hours from, you know, the Romans coming and taking him and killing him and probably killing his family too because he can't pay. And so all of this came about and it's at that moment where... Jesus is teaching on the shore and he steps into Peter's boat. Mm. And it's Mm. after that, upon hearing that, that he calls Peter to follow him. And anyway, I just, I love this because one, when you think about this in context of what you were just saying of like, Peter went back to fishing Mm -hmm. after Jesus died. He actually went back to that life of really slavery i mean he was in debt to rome yep he was like i don't know what else to do so i guess i'll go back to fishing back to that life of slavery yeah and that's what i love about that story in particular as well is that we see peter's response to everything that just happened you know jesus death uh and and he says all right i'm i'm gonna do the only thing i know how to do i'm gonna go back and we do that too Right, we, we, we get overwhelmed by the spiritual battle, the, by the by our life, and we say, I'm just going to go back to what I'm comfortable doing. Yeah. When Jesus calls us, no, I want you to go beyond that. I don't want you to be slaves to your passions, slaves to, to what you are used to. I don't want that for you. And so seeing Peter respond in that way, um, and then trying to just understand, okay, what would I do in that moment? Would I go back to what I was used to, to fishing? Um and and understanding that, you know, I'd spent this last three years with this man um, who just got killed, 
And if I go and, and do what I think I'm called to do, I'm probably going to be killed too. And so just kind of wrestling with that in my mind too. Like, this is a dangerous thing that I'm being asked to do. There's a ton of uncertainty, a ton of uncertainty in all of this. What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to to, to this message to, to, to Jesus, who I believe fully is the Messiah. Yeah. What, what's, what's going to happen? And so there's, I think a similar uncertainty in our time. Yeah. And I, I think also, I mean, this very much, I mean, if, if you don't know this already, hopefully I don't, you know, break the news to everyone for Uh-oh. the first time. Spoiler alert. But the liturgical season is really meant to mimic the life of Jesus and the apostles. And in a similar way, it's also meant to mimic the seasons of our life. And so there's supposed to be this, this sort of mirroring between our lives and the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it's like when we think about the liturgical seasons and we think of how many Christians approach Lent, it's often this time of hopefully intense fasting, prayer, you know, good work, stuff like that. And then it's like, oh man, Easter's here. Glad that's over, right? That's right. Yep. But, you know, if you look at scripture, that's really not what happened with the apostles. They weren't like, oh man, glad that whole passion thing is over. It was, if anything, Easter was a time of more intense prayer, not less. That's right. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Easter is a time of rejoicing and, you know, the fastings, over right and stuff like that so there is this distinct shift in in sort of atmosphere it, mm-hmm. you know it's now it's a new season it's a season of rejoicing but easter in itself is still a season of waiting mm-hmm. in a certain sense which we forget and so there's like there's this really really intense prayer that's going on within the early church and note not just among the apostles right among the whole church. That's right. The whole church was gathered together in really intense prayer. Yep. Yeah, in the middle of all this, Jesus tells them to stay in Jerusalem and wait. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. Now, I think a lot of them were um, happy to just like go behind a closed and locked door for fear of the Jews. Obviously, they saw Jesus just get crucified. They don't want that for themselves. So they're afraid, and they're going to stay in Jerusalem and wait. Um, and I've always found that interesting that Jesus tells them to wait. Yeah. So what are they waiting for? What are they What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them at Pentecost. That's what Jesus is is telling them to wait for, and and we see that eventually happen. And they're in the upper room when this when this happens. So one thing that we've noticed is that we spend a lot of time in the liturgical calendar waiting. Yeah. I hate waiting. Yep. I hate waiting. Me too. It's just, it's awful. And I don't know, like, what we did before cell phones could distract us while we're waiting, like, lines. Um, yeah. I'm at the grocery store, and I'm in a long line. I'm like, all right, I'm going to pop out my cell phone and just, and, and try and yeah. distract myself during that waiting time. Yeah. Um, I hate waiting, and I think Although, a lot of people do. I'll say, <laughs> you just made me think of this. Even since COVID, though, it's like we can't even be in person. We're still waiting, though. Like, I can't tell you how much time I've spent waiting on the phone. For oh, stuff. Yeah. It's like instead of waiting in line in person, it's like, you know, it's like you call in somewhere and they're like, you're the next caller in line. It will be approximately 45 minutes. Oh, <laughs> you know? I hate that. Actually, yeah. although my phone has this new feature now where 
my phone will call me back when it'll stay on the line oh, yeah. for me and it'll call me back when when they picks up which is kind of cool oh that's sweet i know it's yeah. really cool technology have we gone too far yeah that'll be the next segment <laughs> <laughs> yeah that actually will that's a good one so we spend a lot of time in our liturgical calendar waiting we wait during advent for the coming of jesus and at christmas we wait during lent for the crucifixion death and resurrection of jesus we wait during the easter season for pentecost or waiting and waiting um so what are we waiting for who are we waiting for and as we pose these questions the two of us came up with very different answers um yeah. all of them correct yeah but different answers so mike what is your yeah answers? this is actually really interesting because <laughs> because we came up with an answer and we were like kind of a, we were on the same page but we also we saw it from kind of two different angles yep because as we were talking about the segment one of the things that jumped out at me was pentecost the coming, we're, what we're waiting for is the coming of king of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, on earth, excuse me, through us, i.e. Pentecost. And so the kingdom of heaven has already been in, has already invaded the kingdom of the earth. So when Jesus came in the incarnation, the kingdom of heaven has already invaded the kingdom of earth. But Jesus so then in his death and his resurrection, he then claimed victory for that kingdom. So we already have victory. It's guaranteed. But we're waiting for the establishment of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And this begins at Pentecost. So it's that it's the Holy Spirit that allows us, that allows really the kingdom of heaven to flow through us here on earth. So it's like we say in the Our Father, on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So we're we're actually channels of that. We are we're becoming, you know, channels of God's grace. Yep. So, so my answer is is I think, um, on a for us personally, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus, and all of the things we're doing, we're really waiting for that second coming of Jesus. Uh, and so, and along with that, we're also then waiting for our own bodily resurrection. And so that's something I think we don't really talk about enough. We don't really understand fully. What does we mean by our own bodily resurrection? So uh, when Jesus comes second time, there's going to be a recreation of the heavens and the earth. And uh, especially, you know, the earth, which has been broken by and wounded by sin, um, that's all going to be recreated. We don't become angels when we die. Let me repeat that. We don't become angels when we die. Sorry, what was that, Father? We don't become angels when we die. Okay. You should maybe do a homily on that every right. like funeral that you do. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> no. Yeah, We're, We don't become angels when we die. Yeah. Um, angels are separate creatures created at a separate time um, and with a different purpose. Uh, we do, though, when we die, our bodies and our souls are separated. That is true. But there's an eventual reunification of that in after the the uh, second coming after the judgment our bodies and our souls will be reunited we will get our bodies back which then suggests too that the earth will be recreated and will be here uh, so there's gonna be that that unity of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth in probably the way you know it was meant to be from the beginning the way that yeah. the garden of eden was yeah so this is uh, something at a at a macro level. I think we're waiting for is that the coming of Jesus and our own bodily resurrection, recognizing that the way that life is now is not meant to be permanently like that. That we're merely pilgrims here on this journey to uh, to heaven, that journey to be with God, and then eventually that journey to 
with our reunited body and spirit um, in the recreated heavens and the earth. Because notice, too, that always struck me is that the heavens are also recreated. Yeah. Recreated heavens and the earth, um, both of them together, to provide that unity that was originally there that we'd lost when we sinned. So let's spend this time of Easter in intense prayer. Let's wait long for the establishment of the kingdom of heaven. So just one announcement today, uh, just a reminder that the dispensation, uh, that is the dispensation of the obligation to attend Mass, will end. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've been looking forward to that for a while. Uh, so it's going to end on Pentecost Sunday. So uh, May 23rd will be the first day that it's obligatory. So May 16th is the last day that the dispensation will be in effect. And then, uh, so that means that next Sunday will be the first Holy Day of Obligation that uh, will be obligatory for everyone. Now, I'm going to say that and then say, if there is still legitimate concern, um, so if you're still very vulnerable, uh, that does not mean you have to now take, you know, a, a life risk and and come to Mass. You know, if you're still uh, very vulnerable, maybe have a very compromised immune system, have not been able to get the vaccine uh, yet, um, then you still, um, you're just, you always have that uh that dispensation in that case. This is for just about everybody else now. And if you're healthy, you're young, maybe you're even my age, you have a family, um, yeah, come come back to Mass. Come back to Mass. The dispensation will be over. And, uh, and you know, maybe even come back to Mass before that as well. Encourage people around you, hey, why don't we go to Mass? We still have all the uh, um, protections up. We still will be, you know, exercising caution, um, just being smart about everything. So, uh, but the dispensation will officially end. The last day of it will be May 16th, and that means Pentecost Sunday will be the first day that there will no longer be the dispensation to attend Sunday Mass. Welcome back to the Flint Catholic Podcast. Uh, today... Um, what we'll do in this segment is uh, we'll read the statement uh, on to address the moral dimensions of the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The statement doesn't just address the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it addresses all of the vaccines, um, but really the moral uh, dimensions of them. It goes after uh, the morality of it, and um, and yeah, we'll go from there. So, Michael, why don't you yeah. read it? And we wanted to quote this at length just yes. to make sure that you're able to hear the words from the bishops, and by the way, this is a statement, a joint statement from all of the bishops in Michigan. So it says, On March 4th, the bishops, the Michigan bishops put out an updated vaccine statement. Quote, As vaccines for COVID-19 continue to become available, we wish to address the moral questions that have arisen insofar as some vaccines are developed using cells, cells lines that are that have originated from the tissue taken from babies who were aborted decades ago. Abortion is a grave evil, and we must avoid complicity in abortion. 
Let us also pray for God's peace, healing, and mercy for all those who have had abortions. It is morally permissible to receive the vaccines developed by Pfizer and Moderna. Neither of these vaccines have used cell cell lines originating in tissue taken from aborted babies in their design, development, and production. However, both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine did use such a cell line in the confirmatory testing. This connection to the abortion is very remote, however, and it is important to keep in mind that there are varying levels of responsibility. Greater moral responsibility lies with the researchers than with those who receive the vaccine. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has indicated that it is morally permissible to be vaccinated if there are no alternatives and there are serious health risks. Such serious health risks are present due to the current pandemic. The vaccines developed by Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca are more morally problematic, however. They utilized in the design, production, development, and confirmatory testing a cell line that originated from tissue taken from from an aborted baby. These vaccines may be received only if there are no other alternatives. If one does not have a choice of vaccine and and a delay in immunization may bring about serious consequences for one's health and the health of others, it would be permissible to accept the Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca vaccine. Both are somewhat similar in production to the rubella vaccine, which the Pontifical Academy of Life indicated could be received for grave reasons and if there are no other alternatives. If one were to choose not to be vaccinated, one would have a moral responsibility to embrace the necessary precautions to avoid spreading the disease to others. At the same time, we join our voices to call for the development of vaccines that have no connection to abortion. Our consciences must not be dulled, nor may we imply in any way that abortion is acceptable. Let us implore the intercession of the, of the Blessed Virgin Mary that God may bring an end to the pandemic and that all esteem and respect the dignity of human life. End quote. So I think my first response to that is uh, I don't think here, at least in the United States, and um, you know, for all of everyone listening here, I don't think then there is a situation where no other alternative would be available to the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, when it sounds like uh, Pfizer and Moderna are pretty widely available. So what I really wish they would have said is, you know, here in Michigan, don't take those two. Just yeah. don't take Johnson & Johnson. Don't take AstraZeneca. Yeah. Don't take them. Um, that they're morally problematic, and this is one way in which we can make a statement like to to science and pharma, we're not going to um, participate in this uh, this cooperation with evil. So one thing I did like about this statement is that they, they did talk a little bit about the cooperation with evil and how remote or proximate that this cooperation is. And they're making that distinction. Um, the Moderna and Pfizer are more remote cooperation with evil than the Johnson & Johnson AstraZeneca. Yeah, and something that I would add to is that for Catholics who have maybe already had the vaccine, right. I, I know that there was a lot of people that were like looking for guidance from the church, but there was just so much new stuff coming out. Right. It was hard to 
really stay stay up on these things and do the appropriate research. And so if you already have one of these vaccines, don't don't feel bad. Right. You you did the right thing and you made the best decision that you could right. given the information available. Exactly right. But exactly. going forward, if you can choose another option, then yes, please please do. Yep. Yep. And and I think I think my second takeaway from all of this, I've got, I've got three takeaways. My second takeaway from this is, is how do we get to this point where science has been allowed to do this? You know, we've known about this for years that, that uh, cell lines of aborted babies are being used um, for these experimental things. Um, we know about embryonic stem cell research. We know about all these things. And yet it continues to happen because we are not making our voices heard in the public sphere. We're not standing up and saying this is wrong and we're not going to participate in this. And, and really making a, a principled stance on this. We've allowed this idea of cooperation with evil. Well, and, and we make these mushy statements about, well, okay, I mean, yeah, we probably shouldn't, but, you know, it's we're not the ones actually doing it. We're not the researchers. Yeah. And so we can't really say, no, we need to, I think we do need to make a stand and say, listen, we're not going to participate in this and we're not going to even pretend that this is okay. And in fact, we're going to say hey, this is unacceptable. We're going to yeah. call our legislators and say that this is unacceptable and we don't want to cooperate in this, even in a remote sense. Yeah. That we're allowing this to continue to happen for decades after decades after decades um, shows that we're not willing to stand up and, and, and make the necessary changes and to, to do the things necessary to, to make that happen. Yeah, and I think something that the church is kind of put in a very difficult position right now, in particular in this pandemic with these vaccines i think part of the problem is is that much of the church is afraid of course we're of course. we're just as wrapped up in fear yep. as the rest of the world and so there's a lot of people out there a lot of christians who are saying you know no matter what the cost yep. i just want to get back to normal life right i've heard that so much in the last oh, like gosh, month or yes. couple of months people are literally willing to do anything mm -hmm. to get back to normal life. That's right. And so we can't be afraid of death. No. And I, and that's my third my third point is that we are in a culture that fears death. This is obvious by our response to the pandemic. It's obvious by the way we're treating um, treating everything and, and honestly even treating those who who choose not to get vaccinated. I don't know how many videos I've seen of people absolutely freaking out um, because they're they're so afraid. They're so afraid of, of, of other people. We weren't meant to live this way. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, the, the other option then should be to go all the way to the other extreme and say, we're just going to flaunt death. We're just going to do whatever we want to do because we don't, we don't actually care. No, like obviously is with everything. There's a middle ground, right? We're yeah. in an extreme right now. We're, we're in a culture that absolutely fears death and wants to do everything it can to avoid death. Um, the response is not to then swing to the other side and say, well, I don't care about what happens to me. No, we want the healthy middle where we're saying, hey, death is a reality. Death is a part of what's going to happen to all of us. Um, but I'm going to live the way that I'm, I'm called to live. I'm going to say the truth. I'm going to not fear death. Um, I'm going to take the appropriate precautions. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to stand up and say, listen, this Johnson Johnson, AstraZeneca, that is unacceptable in our day and age yeah. to have um, the entire production looks like, and it sounds like from this um, statement that from start to finish, they were using aborted cell lines. 
Yeah. That is totally and yeah. utterly unacceptable and, and should be. And as a church, we should be saying more than this statement. We yeah. should really be out there saying this is totally unacceptable and our and our pharmaceutical companies need to stop doing this. We need yeah. to outlaw this. We need to be in front of our legislators. I want to see a bishop in front of a, a state legislator yeah. saying, hey, this is unacceptable. We need to stop doing this. You know, yeah. I like that they made the statement, but I would love to see all the bishops together at the Capitol saying we can't we got to stop doing this yeah that would be something Definitely. i would love to see yeah yeah and i th- and you know this is interesting too because you know i'm no doctor this is mm-hmm. purely anecdotal but i've seen a lot of articles lately that are questioning the effectiveness of, of astrazeneca and johnson and johnson mm-hmm. i don't think that's any coincidence no definitely not and so I think there's a country, a couple of countries that banned yep, AstraZeneca. Yep, AstraZeneca in particular, and I think Johnson yeah. and Johnson is coming under under some questions as well. Sure. So anyway, all the more reducing the likelihood of yeah. you actually receiving it of if you were to go in and get right. vaccinated. Exactly. Um, but then something something else that I think the bishops addressed as well that you just mentioned, Father Tony, and that's about precautions. What we're really saying here is that if you're not getting vaccinated or if you're or if you're um, or if you're waiting to get vaccinated for some reason um, or maybe, you know, probably nobody in Michigan. But if you're not able to get one of these other vaccines and you feel you can wait, um, you know, it's still important to take the necessary precautions. Absolutely. We we do need to use prudence. And so we. You know, we are we are emphasizing that, and the bishops are em- emphasizing that. That's right. And I think also the other thing that I just want to add as well, because I I don't know if you've gotten the sense, Father Tony, but I've felt like there's been a lot of questioning of the bishops and and statements they <laughs> statements they've made. No way. Uh, yeah, I know that that doesn't happen in our church, right? Um, but there is there really has been a lot of question of like, well. You know, are they like changing church teaching? Like, how can how can we receive these vaccines and all this stuff? But it's important to emphasize that the bishops were actually referencing what the Vatican was putting out, mm-hmm. and they're also following prior precedent. Like they mentioned the rubella vaccine, mm-hmm. so that there there is a, I guess, tradition you would say, if you will. There's sort of a precedent where the church has already. Um, dealt with similar issues and so you can feel confident in knowing that what the bishops of michigan have said is in line with authentic catholic teaching yeah for sure for sure no question about that um so what do we do about this um you know I, i don't like to stay on the uh um theoretical theoretical abstract right what are we going to do about this i said earlier i'd love to see all the bishops of the state be at the capitol and testify to the truth that's probably not going to happen so us in the meantime we need to be the ones to stand up we need to be the ones to say this is against catholic teaching this is against our faith and this is against the truth and the human dignity of the person and so we're the ones who need to call up our legislators. We're the ones who need to call up even Big Pharma and say, "Listen, we're not gonna we're not gonna allow you to do this. We're not gonna purchase anything from you that that uh, that does this that it, that uh, cooperates with this evil. We're gonna root it out." 
And I think we're even seeing that science is bearing this out as well. We're seeing that, uh, you're right, that there's problems with the Johnson Johnson vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, if we go along the lines um, of embryonic stem cell research, too, this is another very connected issue where there has been zero, not a single benefit that came from an embryonic stem cell line, which requires and necessitates the abortion of a baby. Um, there's been nothing, tons of promise, and for decades we've been trying to do this, and we've come up with zero things, benefits to humanity from it. Yeah. On the other hand, adult stem cells have provided a huge list of benefits, and you don't have to abort a baby to do it. Yeah. So, well, as Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit, right? It's exactly right. It's exactly right. So, you know, I'm tying embryonic stem cell research into this because it's very, it's it's along the same lines. Um, we're widening out the scope, not just to the vaccines, but to an even bigger issue that we're seeing. And, and we're even seeing within our own state. We see the University of Michigan has um, embryonic stem cell lines. Um, and we certainly can do what we can too, to, um, hey, make sure this isn't happening anymore. Make sure we can root this out and have a more moral society um, to not have this, um, you know, it's interesting. We talk about this fear of death and we exist in a culture of death Yeah. where, yeah, well, some lives are worth preserving at all costs, but not every life, not every life. And so we don't fear death, but we also don't bring it upon ourselves. We don't live in that culture of death. We live in the culture of life. And I think that's important to, to keep in mind as well. And the answer is us. The answer is us. Um, yeah. You know, we can't look to our bishops to do everything anymore. Can't look to even the clergy and the priests. And yeah. Being a priest myself, can't you can't look to us to do it. We got to do it ourselves. We got to rise up with one voice as a church. And I'll stand right there next to you doing it. But I think we need to do that as as a church. Yeah, and I think really the answer is just what we said in the last episode. What are we waiting for? Mm-hmm. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. That's right. So that we can fill the world with God's presence. That's right. And the world's going to think we're drunk. And it's okay. Yep. It's okay. Um, I have no problem with that. And uh, um, that's just going to be a mark of we're doing the right thing. So, so that's, uh, I think, what we have to say about the vaccine. Do you have any last thoughts? No. Just, you know. Be safe. Uh, be safe. Yep. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>